Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Subscribe now so you don't miss a drop of straight talk you can't get anywhere else. We discuss the whiskeys to drink, music to listen to, and what it really takes to be an effective leader. I'm your host, Galen Bingham, the leadership strategist. Tonight's guest, former Coca-Cola senior executive, author, and owner of Saddam Solutions, John Saddam. Hey, what you drink? Okay, guys, we're gonna go. We're gonna go back again. So the last couple conversations have been with relatively new friends. Gosh, I'm just gonna go back to the beginning of my real leadership experience because there's a foundational piece to this that I'm just I, I'm just gonna share with you guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull back the veil so that you can see exactly what goes into being an effective leader. And so with this conversation, uh, not only do I get to hang out with someone who I've known for a while, uh, we, we kind of knew each other uh, as peers there for a little bit. And then uh, we knew each other just kind of from a distance, right? Where, where I was kind of supporting him in some areas. And then towards the end, he was like one of my chief clients at the Coca-Cola company. I'm talking about none other than Mr. John Saddam. He's here. John, welcome to the show, man. Galen, thanks so much. It's such an honor and privilege to be here. And I'm really looking forward to going back in history and then charging forward in some new ground as well. So thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I'll tell you, you know, one, one of the things we're going to get into, because uh, you, you don't find very many people anymore who can really tout being at the same company for 30 plus, 32 plus years. We used to call them Mustangs when they go, they go from the front line all the way up to the senior most levels of the organization. But that, that's what you represent, man. So uh, I'm really excited for you to share your pearls of wisdom, uh, not only from your career, but from your brand new book. You know, I'm going to try to channel some questions that I think my listeners are going to want you to answer but the first question and you know the question that I, I can't i can't start the conversation without asking what you drinking oh well this is one of the few occasions where you know drinking responsibly is encouraged so i'm very excited to uh, do that i'm drinking jefferson's ocean aged at sea 
And it's one of my favorite go-tos, smooth, crisp, and just kind of relaxes you and puts you in a different place. Oh man. See now that, that, that just tells a lot right there about the level of intimacy that we're going to get into with this conversation. And, you know, I, I give some thought, quite a bit of thought, some say maybe too much thought as to what I'm going to drink based upon the conversation that I'm going to have. And, you know, this is kind of foundational. This is kind of foundational for me. So uh, I'm going to go back to the foundation of this of this whiskey thing that I've gotten into. And a lot of people he heard me talk about that original list that I got from a bartender in California of the five whiskeys that he said that I should drink. And I've shared several of those with you guys here. But what you don't know is the whiskey that sparked that conversation was a whiskey recommendation from a friend of mine who's on the East Coast. And she said, Galen, you've got to try this whiskey. It's amazing. She told me this long elaborate story and she said, anywhere you are, you've got to see if they have Jefferson's Ocean aged at sea. And so that's where I asked the barkeep and he was offended that I would suggest that he wouldn't have Jefferson's Ocean aged at sea. And of course he did. And my friend was right. It is amazing. So that's what I'm going to get into tonight. Only because this is about as close as you and I are going to get to actually sharing a whiskey. So we're going to drink, we're going to drink the same thing. So I'm going to, I'm going to crack this open just to, just to go back in time. I try to keep a bottle of this in my collection at all times. So let, let's go ahead and get into this. I love that sound. That shit is perfect. Oh. All right. And uh, you know, I, I'm gonna get into this. And the way that I have I have described this uh on occasion is you know how a lot of whiskeys or bourbons, they will have a nice bouquet and then they'll kind of hit for me, it's like the back of my tongue. And there'll be like this 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 bite that will just kind of stay there for a little bit. Well, well, this one has the same bouquet. It hits the back of the tongue, but then it just disappears. I mean, it just like a ghost. It just kind of goes away and it just adds to the whole allure of of being aged at sea. And this is just uh, yeah, this is this is going to take me back to some memories. So I'm going to get into these memories, John. And you share just a little bit about your background, uh, your history. Give the listeners kind of a sense as to how significant I'm telling them that this conversation is going to be. You know, I think um, like anything, you can just uh, learn from some people and some things and build on it and take a nugget or two from it and see what works for you. And uh, I've had that opportunity with many people along my career journey that I owe so much gratitude towards and just um, see what connects and maybe it doesn't connect right now, but might connect later time or with a diff different circumstance, but be open and uh, see where it takes you would be a thought I have on that. Yeah. So talk a little bit about your background. So give them a sense of, of your career, because as I said earlier, especially today, you really don't see a lot of executives who can claim 20 years with the same company, 25 years with the same company, 30 years with the same company. 
you're among a breed of executives who still can speak to what you've learned and what you were able to do because you were around the culture for so long. You've seen the culture evolve and mature. So talk a little bit about your background and your history and uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into the conversation deeper. I'm a kid from Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, that's where I grew up. And I actually met my wife in high school. And so we're both from Omaha, our families are from Omaha. And so it's a very special place uh, for us and um, kind of the beginning of it. And then early in my career, I would do a lot of different odd jobs uh, as a teenager and mow grass. And I'd work different basketball camps because I love have a passion for basketball and, and still do today. And then um, I went to the University of Nebraska. One thing I'll share with our listeners is you don't always have to know what you're going to do in college because I went to two schools and had three different uh, majors until I found something. And then I started doing on-campus recruiting and uh, Coca-Cola came to campus with a couple other CPG companies. And the funny thing is the only reason I went with Coke is it paid $1,000 more than my other offer. That's it. It wasn't strategic. It wasn't like this big thing. I didn't have any money as you know, a college student and a thousand bucks is a lot of money. And that's what swayed my decision as maybe poor as that was. But for me at that time, it worked. And I started off in entry level sales, local market, mom and pop restaurants. I was in Des Moines, Iowa, um, slogging around. I, you know, 35 up and down and um, it was really hard, but it taught me the business and got into some larger customers and went into the bottler side of business for a period of time. And went to national accounts and then people leadership. And that's really where my career, I think, really pivoted was the people leadership. And you just have to have this mental mindset shift. It's not about you anymore. And it's about others and having others succeed and and helping them do that and putting yourself second and really just helping other people flourish and grow. And then I got into larger jobs in leadership, one in Denver with the West Coast, and then an opportunity to come to Dallas and um, ran the central through the country for the food service division. Before I left, I was helping out in the East. And so I've seen a lot of different parts of the business um, in the food service. And I love the restaurant industry. I love the people in the restaurant industry. It was a great run, really enjoyed it. I had an opportunity to retire in November of 20, took that opportunity. And now I've pivoted, you know, away from that and uh, on a new, new journey. And so I, I'm not sure people will have that opportunity to be in one company for an entire career. I always felt that I was able to go and have different experiences um, inside the Coca-Cola company during that time. So it was very different um, and different challenges. So I was always you know, motivated and excited by that. But I'm not sure that's the right thing or the right thing to do, but it's everyone's personal journey. And that's how mine turned out. So um, I'm really proud of it and happy that it turned out the way it did. Yeah, I mean, so you and I have have shared a lot of those experiences. I, I certainly didn't spend 32 years with the same company, but I, I did get the opportunity to spend 22 years with a cocoa company, which a lot of people have told me, dude, you're, you're crazy to spend that amount of time. But there are things that you learn about the organization and how it, it changes and evolves and has to be flexible when you are around for that long. So talk about some of the things that you you may have thought was, was challenging, unique, or different 30 years ago, but you had no idea what was coming 
by the time you were you were going to leave the company. I know when I started, it was when I started with Coca Cola. It was like a revolutionary idea to have、uh, what they call bag in the box syrup, where in restaurants. Uh, all the fountain product, all the Coca-Cola product that you get at the machines,、uh, is actually in a technology that I, I believe Coca-Cola really kind of launched and spearheaded, and it was revolutionary to put、um, this product, a plastic bag that was inside of a box, as opposed to the way it had been done for years. So, talk a little bit about how you've seen innovation kind of come up, go away, make room for new innovation. Just that whole reference, Galen, the bag in the box, and that whole thing. When I first started,、uh, the syrup came in、uh, metal canisters. I remember I had to go to distributors, and they'd make you mark leakers, so they got credit for it. And there'd be syrup spraying on you, and it's hot in that warehouse, and it could be August, and you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then bag in the box was great, you know, because it leaked a lot less, and so that was good. I, I really think there's several things. One is you need a natural curiosity. And、uh, just what's possible and what's on the horizon and what's out there, you have to be very open to different changes and what's going to happen, both externally with customers and the restaurant industry, or just the food service industry or business in general, and then how the company adapts to that and changes, and and how you get behind that. And so you have to really be open and reinvent your mind and your mindset and being a growth mindset, and just being open to possibilities. And a lot of things don't work right away. You have to be patient and you know give it some time, which isn't always available in corporate America. But、um, you have to do that. But I really think the core comes down to people and treating people with respect and dignity. I think that always endures and that's timeless. And one of the reasons I stayed at Coca-Cola Company for 32 years was the people and the amazing people I got to interact with and be around. I never had a reason to look outside,、mm. and so. It was really the people that did that, and the, and the brands you represent. But some of my best friends today are still people I met through Coke. You're talking to you today through that relationship and that experience at Coke, and、um, it's just special.、Uh, you know, I can absolutely relate to that. And you know,、uh, back to your story about, you know, you, you made this entire decision based on a thousand bucks, right? And I can relate to that because I, I left. One amazing company that I thought I would be at for you know 150 years, I left for 1,200 bucks, right? So 1,200 dollars, I just changed absolutely everything, and I went to the Coca-Cola company. So you know I can relate to that. And you know another thing that I've just I've absolutely believed is that there is nothing that a company can do to prevent an employee from accepting a job. Especially when it's making more money. However, there's a lot that the company can do to keep that employee from answering the email that says, "I've got a brand new opportunity." But once they answer that email, <laughs> and money comes into play, and and lifestyle、uh, options come into play, you know the game the game is kind of over. Kind of over. And I, I want to bring that back into what you were saying about how. Uh, when you get into leadership, there really does have to be this this shift to being focused on how do you create the best possible environment for your employees,、uh, for your team members to flourish, and that's a shift that a, a, a lot of executives who don't 
make that shift, that's usually the origin of, of when they stumble. So talk a little bit about that, if you would. It's interesting. I was interviewing for that first people leadership position and I was down in Atlanta in the tower, you know, the top floor and um, a senior executive I was interviewing with, his name is Jerry Wilson. And I got done with the interview and Jerry said, you know, John, you did really well in the interview, but if you do get this job, uh, whatever you've learned over the last 10 years is really going to be worthless. <laughs> and I looked at Jerry and I was like, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. And I go, I, how can you say the last 10 years have been worthless? He goes, it's a totally different mindset shift you have to make. And unless you do that, you're going to fail at this. Mm. And I walked out and I didn't even have the job yet. You know, they didn't offer it to me, uh, but it just stuck with me. And uh, you know what? He was right. Get a really change how you think about it, how you think about your role and what you do. And I had to learn it and learn a whole new different craft and a whole new different approach to things in order to be successful. So it was just an interesting experience with that. And, you know, you, you're generally not prepared for that and you, you will have stumbles and you will have challenges, but if you keep the people first, you'll be okay. Mm. Wow. That, that, that reminds me of some advice that I received from an iconic name within the Coca-Cola system. So I feel very comfortable and in sharing this name with you. But Mr. Stan Hutchins said something very similar to me. When I was in my first people management role, I was managing a team for the first time and had just come off of a relatively successful career, you know, managing customers. And so I had that, I had that customer management mentality and deliver the business plan at all costs, that kind of thing. And Stan asked me at one point, Galen, do you know what business you're in? And I said, well, of course, Stan, uh, I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the beverage business, right? I mean, obviously my business card, Coca-Cola, we're in the beverage business. He said, no, that's not the business that you're in. Do you know what business you're in? And Stan, very iconic. I mean, very, very well known for delivering his business plan no matter what. And one thing you know is you don't ever want to get Stan in a, in, a, in, a, in a spot where he's got to come at you kind of aggressively. So you always danced around him kind of gingerly. And so I said, well, Stan, I'm, I'm in the food service business. And he said, well, no, Galen, you're not in the food service business. Do you know what business you're in? Okay, so now I'm nervous. And if you were there, you might've heard my knees knocking just a little bit. And so I said, well, Stan, I'm in the business of making sure I deliver this business plan that I've committed to you and the Coca-Cola company in this division. That's the business that I'm in. He said, no, Galen, that is not the business that you're in. You are in the business of creating the environment so that your people can deliver the business plan to the Coca-Cola company. And that for me, that was the shift, that it wasn't my job anymore to manage customers. It was my job to create the environment so that you know my sales executive or account executive or whoever, they felt comfortable going out there and doing the things that we needed from them, for them to do. Otherwise, uh, I would forever be missing the mark. Talk a little bit more about that transition for you. And did you find that to be true that executives and leaders who did not get that transition, could you tell when they were still trying to uh, make their business about managing customers as opposed to leading teams? 
I resemble that comment. <laughs> and that was a big challenge for me because what made me successful early on doesn't make, wouldn't make me successful as a leader. So I knew when I was getting deep or going in with a customer that, you know, I wasn't doing the right thing. Mm. And um, that's hard. was hard for me to do. And uh, it's something I had to learn over time and, you know, get better at and, you know, let people run their business and, you know, have conversations. And when I got further in my um, career, I had, I was a leader of leaders and I had um, a new leader out in the Pacific Northwest and she, you know, had a team of people and I went out there for one of my first trips and we went in the market and saw accounts and I was talking to some of her team members and she goes, um, Hey John, can we uh, talk after this and just talk about the day? I go, so absolutely. And she sits down and she says, I'm so glad you're in the job you're in. I go, well, that's really nice. Thank you. She goes, because if you keep doing this, you don't need me. And then I can just relax because you can leave. The team. <laughs> I go, what? She goes, yeah. She goes, either I'm going to leave the team or you are. So you got to decide who's doing that. Mm. And she was absolutely right. And so if you're a leader of leaders, you coach the coach, not the player. Wow. You, you got to say that one more time because that, I mean, that, that's a jewel that if, 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 if you're listening to this and you're not careful, you, you know, you might've been changing the channel. You might've been readjusting your rearview mirror and you might miss that. So hit, hit that one more time. You coach the coach, not the player. That's it. And man. that takes time and that, that takes discipline and, that also takes respect for the other leader. And, you know, the thing that makes that tricky is that that doesn't mean that you relinquish the responsibility for customers or that you abdicate the responsibility for PL, if that's part of your part of your charge. But you do have to approach it with a different mindset. Right. So. One of the things I've heard, and I don't know if you've heard this, uh, I heard this after I left the company, that working for Coca-Cola is almost like getting an MBA. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about what what goes, what's beneath that statement? I just think the opportunity to do so many different things at Coke is so invigorating and appealing, and you can take your career in so many different ways under the same company umbrella. And you can reinvent yourself and do different things and gain different experiences. And, you know, you can run a PL, you can support a team, you can work on different initiatives. So there's so many things you can do and come in and out of it. You know, it's just, it's unbelievable. And then the collaboration and then the other people you get to interact with inside the company or in the industry is remarkable opportunities that will set you up for whatever you want to do. And it's not just Coke, but it's when you get in that type of um, company environment and you can thrive and chart your own course. What I would say though, is you have to own your own career. Mm. There is nobody that's gonna take um, ownership of that and care about that more than you. You've gotta own that and find advocates and allies around there, but your boss won't get you promoted. The person you know won't get you promoted. It is up to you and how you navigate and how you work that and how you commit to development is so important. And uh, that really is a separator, I think, um, of what people can do and how far they can go. And those that somehow don't go as far. I, I sense that that's a truism that is not specific just to the Coca-Cola company. No, not at all. 
um, you know, I, I've just seen so many people, especially in, in some of the work that I'm doing now, where it comes back to who is who has responsibility for your success, who has responsibility for your career. And this again, the sooner you realize that, the more successful you'll be, the happier you'll be, because you know then you need to take responsibility. Absolutely. Nobody's gonna care about it more than you. Hey, so now, okay, so now I got, I, okay, that's enough catching up, enough catching up. So I, I wanna I wanna just throw something at you that I continue to get from people whom I've known for years and years like yourself, people who uh, I would say that I've respected, they've respected me, but when they, they hear about what I'm doing now, uh, they ask, Galen, what in the world is up with the name Whiskey jazz and leadership and i share that i like all three literally but it's the metaphor that i i try to tap into each of my guests to help me articulate the metaphor and for me whiskey means doing what you enjoy with people who enjoy it regardless of what others may say about it so finding your tribe to do the thing that you enjoy jazz is this this idea that you've got to get from where you are to where you need to be on time and in key, although you might not have sheet music, you might not have everything spelled out for you. You've got to figure out how to use your creativity, your, your intellect, your whatever, to get to where you need to be on time and in key. And then leadership, uh, I, I've been saying for years that I, I believe that nothing happens until somebody does something and, and nobody eats unless somebody kills something. And for me, those three kind of combine to be this metaphor for life. But that's me, man. This, this all makes sense to me. Is it just me or does that connect somehow? And, and, and if it does connect, how? Help me explain this thing. I think it's an individual thing, but I completely connect with it. And when I, when I think about whiskey, um, I think about all three as a state of mind. Mm. And I'm in a state of mind when I'm enjoying a whiskey or a bourbon, and it's relaxing, and it's, you know, camaraderie, and it's a, usually a good time, and it just brings joy. And, and then I think about jazz, and I think about, well, when do I listen to jazz? And one of the times I listen to jazz is my wife, a meal together and having a glass of wine, and everything else is off. There's no TV. And we're talking and preparing the meal together and sharing that experience. And there's jazz usually in the background from that experience. And then leadership is really a state of mind about how you approach something mm. and how you approach people. And I find when I'm in my groove of leadership, it's calm, it's relaxed, and I'm taking my time. And when things are being pressed or decisions are coming at me, if I take my time, I get better outcomes and help my team get better outcomes. And so I think for me, all three is a mindset of where I'm at and what I'm doing. And when I'm slowing down, I'm getting better outcomes for me personally. Hey, it's not too late. Hit that subscribe button so you're sure to catch the next episode. If you're really enjoying the vibe, leave us a review or become a VIP for guests and show exclusives. Cheers.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.